from deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, you know, I'm, as you can tell, fairly eclectic and small C Catholic about what audio device you do choose for listening to this broadcast. But if, if I had to weigh in on your choice, I would say, I would say, I would point in the direction of the most secure audio device you could be listening to, listening to me on, and that would be the radio. I know it's it's so old school and uh, derided by all the new high-tech media people, although I understand, I, I'm given to understand that you can still buy a 90 million pound apartment with your radio winnings, not, not from, by calling in, by the way, um, but it is, you know, you don't see anybody advertising smart radios. Let's keep them dumb. That may end up being the only trustworthy appliance within reach. From uh, Ars Technica this week, we learned that by exploiting two known security flaws in the web browsers running in the background of smart TVs made by Samsung, a uh, white hat hacker was able to gain highly privileged access to the TVs. Once the hacker has control over a TV, they can harm the user in a variety of ways, said the security consultant who publicly demonstrated the attack, Raphael Scheel. The TV could be used to attack further devices in the home network or to spy on the user because the TV now has a camera and a microphone. Why do you want your TV to have a microphone? TV, stop boring me. Okay. Uh, Scheel developed the uh, hack for a Swiss security company was demonstrated to broadcasters in Europe. It was able to survive both reboots and resets. That is to say, user turning it back, turning it off and back on in the factory reset. It can work against many TVs at once and eliminates the need for the attacker to physically be anywhere near the TV. He need only turn on a transmitter that's within range of a large number of sets. It could even uh, work through broadcast towers. The hacks, writes Ars Technica, underscore the risks of the so-called Internet of Things devices, the vast majority of which are given network access and computing functionalities without being adequately secured. They almost universally, do they, the Internet-connected appliances, almost universally lack exploit mitigations that are a standard part of computer and mobile operating systems, and we know how well those are working. Ask the NHS in Britain. They got, they were part of that huge attack a week and a half ago because they didn't update, they didn't get the patch, they didn't update, they didn't get the patch. And they were using Windows XP. Most Internet of Things devices, according to this publication, Ars Technica, run old versions of Linux and open source browsers that contain critical vulnerabilities. Patches are generally available but manufacturers rarely give customers a way to install them on the devices. Yeah, like I'm going to put a, do a patch in my internet-connected light bulb, doorbell, toaster, TV. TVs are used, according to the, one of the authors of the uh, paper, TVs are used by a fundamentally different demographic from computers. People who use TVs don't know or care about security. They don't, aren't used to getting security prompts from their TVs. They don't have the discipline of installing security updates. 
and so on. Your radio, ladies and gentlemen, it's dumb. You can trust it. Hey, what's hap- What's with the bees? An environmental agency, environmental protection agency report from 2014 called Benefits of Neonicotinoid Seed Treatments to Soybean Production finds no benefits to using neonicotinoids. EPA concludes that these seed treatments provide little or no overall benefits to soybean production. While the EPA was telling the public there was uh, essentially no good reason for farmers to use the chemical, the an increasing amount of research from other organizations have found the mass spraying of neonics have had, has had grave consequences. Uh, a few days ago, federal judge Maxine Chesney ruled the EPA violated federal laws protecting wildlife when the agency approved 59 neonic p- pesticides between 2007 and 2012. Judge wrote in her decision, the Endangered Species Act requires federal agencies to consult with Fish and Wildlife and National Marine Fishery Services to ensure none of its decisions pose harm to endangered animals. But here, she says, the EPA concedes it has not consulted either agency nor made a determination of no effect. Score one for the bees. Bees have a better lawyer than maybe Bill Cosby. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, how low is the bar? Well, within uh, hours of this broadcast, (laughs) President Trump delivered an address to a group of um, Middle Eastern nations, Islamic Middle Eastern nations, Arab nations, gathered in uh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, Riyadh. And um, this, you remember like early in his administration when he read a speech to Congress and, and uh, the punditocracy said, oh, now he's being pres- presidential. He read a speech. Well, this was even more like that because he didn't, you know, in, in any time he reads a speech, he interpolates. I think it's just his way of saying, yeah, I'm reading this crap, but I'm still here. Nothing, no ad libs, no interpolation in today's speech. Read it as written. You're going you're gonna to hear the huzzas and uh, the, the, the faint praise that will rain on him as a result. Now, one apropos, one teeny little question that seems to have escaped most of the observers breathlessly rushing hither and thither with the leaks this week. One of them involved supposedly Russian intelligence agents being intercepted. Now, I stop right there. So after, and I think I mentioned this on an earlier broadcast, after the Snowden leaks, we were told the terrorists have learned to go dark and not be intercepted in their communications. But not, but the Russians didn't? Really? So the Russian intelligence people are intercepted, bragging last year that uh, they think Michael Flynn can be useful to them. We do know, ladies and gentlemen... It is fact, not not leakage, that Michael Flynn was on the payroll of a foreign country last year. Michael Flynn was the former national security advisor that served, I think, 19 days in the President Trump administration. He was on the payroll of a foreign country, all right. Turkey. That's what that's the information that was given to the Trump transition team. That's it's been published everywhere. It's fact. Just pointing out. Turkey isn't Russia. They're not, they're not even really good friends. Turkey's in NATO. Russia, not a particular fan of NATO. They, uh, they're near each other. They might even have some, you know, other, other issues. But 
So Russian officials bragging about Flynn being influenced by them when, in fact, he was on the payroll. Did, did the Russians just not know that? Did we not? Did, did, they, did they not know that you can communicate without being intercepted? They didn't ask, you know, a terrorist? It's, again, it's a house of mirrors, ladies and gentlemen, and in a house of mirrors, everything looks two-dimensional. Hello, welcome to the show. From London, England, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, you know, Paris and Los Angeles are still competing, vying for the 2024 20, Olympic Olympic Games. 
Further cost-cutting measures will be sought to trim the budget of the city awarded those gains. According to the IOC Evaluation Commission Chairman Patrick Bauman, that's what's going to happen. But he stopped short of committing to using Paris's world-leading public transport system should Paris's bid be successful. He claimed many IOC members used public transportation during Rio 2016 and also do so, you know, just when hanging around Paris. It had been suggested that if IOC members used public transportation rather than having their own individual car and driver, it might help restore some public faith in the Olympic movement. Quote, the IOC will have a discussion once the Games are awarded to a city on how we can optimize save and save costs. I'm sure this will involve aspects related to transport, he says. It depends on what they have to do. If they have to run between one and the other, they might need specific transport, he says. The IP transport is an area for which IOC members are often criticized by anti-Olympic groups opposing the costs of the Games. Bauman insisted the IOC is working hard to change its image in order to re avoid repeats of the bidding problems which culminated in the Salt Lake City 2002 corruption scandal, which led to the expulsion of six members. We don't want that. French prosecutors investigating corruption in world athletics last year expanded their remit to include the bidding and voting processes for Rio 2016 and Tokyo 2020. Let's try to cover that up, shall we? National Olympic committees have expressed concerns after being informed their allotted accommodation at the Athletes' Village for the Pyeongchang 2018 Winter Games could need to be renegotiated because there's a shortage of beds. You don't need beds, do you, guys, gals? The National Olympic committees expressed their disapproval to transport plans for the Games. The uh, IOC's Head of Games Services, Toshio Tsurunaga, confirmed the problem of beds. Village was due to have 4290. That number has now been significantly reduced. They assured us they were going to make some changes to the construction to ensure there were that many beds, but it didn't happen, Tsurunaga said. Number of beds is around 3,000 and something. I'm not sure the exact figure. In negotiations, they worked on proposed rather than actual numbers. The actual number of beds they have versus the actual number of people who need the beds don't quite match. One or two things are going to happen. Either we do the nuclear option, which is to start and redo everything, or Pyeongchang 2018 will talk to you guys and negotiate the spaces. It's not great. We want to make sure there are enough beds for everybody. We don't know. The impact might be minimal, says Mr. Tsulanaga. Some smaller National Olympic committees have been placed in larger parts of the village. He claimed this may have resulted in bed kills where the space could potentially be been used to better effect by larger committees. And there's a lack of hotels and mountain clusters, which could mean team officials and coaches will have to stay in the coastal cluster. Two new hotels are being close to the skiing venue, too far away for people to be accommodated. Both of the new hotels... Are should are, are be building being built right now? We know we have a problem for extra guests like sponsors. We know that, and that is a fact. He says, "It's the Olympics. It's a movement, and we all need one every day." Oh, beds and transport! Come on, it's it's about gold, isn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, news of Afpac. It's going so well over there now. I uh, I can hardly stand it. I can hardly stand the winning.
Afghanistan's controversial first vice president has been under investigation for months on accusations of assault and sexual abuse. Late Friday, he flew to Turkey for medical tests, according to his aides and Afghan government officials. Well, he, he can, I, I guess maybe he called Mike Flynn and asked him to make arrangements. Human rights groups, Afghan analysts and others say they suspect that Abu Rashid Dostum, an ethnic Uzbek militia leader, former army general, former warlord, had flown into exile to avoid prosecution, possibly in a deal with the government. He hasn't been charged with any crime. He has a, does have a judicial case pending, said a spokesman for President Ghani. In December, an elderly Uzbek politician accused him of uh, on national TV of ordering his militia guards to imprison, beat, and rape the Uzbek politician. The powerful warlord claimed the charges were a political plot. Since then, the Attorney General's office has been trying to investigate the case, but Dostum has refused to be questioned and has only allowed several of his guards to submit to official requests, leaving the government in an embarrassing quandary and the disgraced official stewing in his heavily guarded residence. Well, at least he's not frying there. In private, meanwhile, Dostum's representatives have reportedly met with presidential aides seeking a political solution. He has not been removed from office, even though he's estranged from the president. Oh, guys, and remains first in line to replace him. He remains a cult figure in several northern provinces. Uzbek supporters there have rallied to his support. This is despite his reputation for abusive behavior toward both adversaries and underlings. Well, (laughs) if you can't abuse them, some have called on him to stage a revolt against the government. Critics in social media and the human rights community were quick to denounce his unannounced, denounce his unannounced departure. He has long historic and official ties in Turkey, has previously fled there during political tumult. Human Rights Watch researcher says the case shows Ghani's inability to ensure justice and is the example of the power strong men wield over Afghanistan. Some advisors urged Ghani to take a more traditional approach and settle the matter privately, but uh, that didn't happen. He was uh, added to the ticket despite a history that included allegedly beating an elderly businessman in Kabul in 2008, an incident which led to police surrounding his house and him flying again to Turkey. And, of course, uh, Hekmatyar, the uh, former warlord, has just been welcomed back to Kabul. So it's... It's good. It's, it's holiday for warlords. The world's number one opium-producing country, Afghanistan, is praised for an exploding poppy harvest this year. Farmers are cultivating the illicit crop in areas where it has never grown before. Unfortunately, the, the narcotics production is on the rise this year, said the deputy counter-narcotics minister. We're concerned it would increase this year, especially in areas where previously we had zero opium production. New Frontiers. His comments amid, amid growing international concern, the Taliban, who are fighting Afghan government troops in rural areas, are fueling the poppy trade by engaging in trafficking and skimming hundreds of millions of dollars in profit to fuel their militancy. Taliban insurgents, according to the U.S. officials, take 20% of the war chest from narcotics. Afghanistan is thought to produce an estimated 90% of the world's heroin. As poppy cultivation spikes, U.S. intelligence officials warn the country is likely to see more armed violence this year. Even more. Really? There can be more? 
Um, news of Africa, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, the, the Guardian just lends a note on the uh, case of Mr. Dostum. The standoff is proof of the reality of Afghan politics since 2001, the, Af- the Guardian writes. Some Afghan power brokers have simply become too mighty to prosecute. The uh, government and the donors are not caught up in the fundamental contradiction of these past 16 years, says a researcher, the researcher with Human Rights Watch. You can't build a state that respects the rule of law while at the same time effectively endorsing impunity and turning a blind eye to rampant abuse. Really? Want to bet? News of AFPAC, as we say. Whenever we can. I think I think it's more more than ready. We're more than ready for the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. A bumper crop. So let's get at it. The Swedish government agency on information apologized for blocking briefly from its account on Twitter thousands of users, including Israel's ambassador Stockholm. It had flagged those users as engaging in hate speech. The Swedish Institute published the apology on its website, in which it also stated it has removed the blocks from all accounts that had been suspended earlier this week. Just days after Donald Trump won the election, Dave Chappelle appeared on a TV show on NBC late night. And his monologue raised a lot of eyebrows when he ended it by asking people to give Trump a chance. Now, during a Monday night stand-up show in New York, Chappelle apologized for those remarks. I was the first guy on TV to say, give Trump a chance. I effed up. Sorry, he told the audience. Wasn't sorry for the F. An FCC commissioner has apologized to a reporter for Roll Call, one of the newspapers on Capitol Hill, after he was allegedly manhandled by a guard and forced to leave the premises of a public FCC meeting. Shouldn't that be person handling now? Uh, Just asking. John Donnelly, a well-regarded veteran correspondent, said security guards harassed him as he tried to ask commissioners questions at a public hearing on net neutrality. Throughout the meeting, the security guards had shadowed Donnelly as if he were a security threat, he said, even though he continuously displayed his congressional press pass and held a tape recorder and notepad. They even waited for him outside the men's room at one point, said the National Press Club. In a press release, he happens to be chairman of the press club's press freedom team, does Donnelly, said he was forced out of the building after being asked why he had not posed his question during the news conference. He uh, followed... Commissioner O'Reilly down the hall. Two guards pinned him against the wall with the backs of their bodies until O'Reilly passed. O'Reilly continued walking. O'Reilly apologized to Donnelly on Twitter, saying he didn't recognize Donnelly in the hallway. I saw security put themselves between you and me and my staff. I didn't see anyone put a hand on you. I'm sorry this occurred. The spokesperson for the FCC said, we apologized to Mr. Donnelly more than once and let him know that the FCC was on heightened alert today based on several threats. Donnelly said on Twitter, while he appreciates the apologies, he doesn't buy the security threat. There's no way I could have been mistaken for a threat, he said. He was wearing his congressional press pass at the time. And if their guards are that bad at discriminating threats, he said, then that is their biggest security problem. He's cruising for a bruising next time he goes there. Deadline Cincinnati. Mayor John Cranley apologized to the Fraternal Order Police this week after his office issued a proclamation honoring the man who ambushed and killed a Cincinnati police officer, Sonny Kinn. This was a huge mistake, Cranley said, pausing to wipe tears from his eyes. At the end of the day, but the buck stops with me and there is no excuses. That's right. 
Der Amt. I'm sorry, and it won't happen again, unquote. According to a retraction issued by the city, a new employee at Cranley's office was the one who stamped the proclamation that June 1 would become Trey Day in honor of Trey Pierre Hummins. Hummins died after calling police to report a suspicious armed individual in his neighborhood when Officer Kim arrived at the scene. Police said Hummins shot him and wrestled his service weapon away, then firing at other officers before being shot himself. Both Hummins and Kim died of their wounds. The request for a commemorative day had been made by Hummins' father. Toronto Blue Jays center fielder Kevin Pillar has apologized for using an anti-gay slur, which could lead to disciplinary action from Major League Baseball. Pillar was angry at Braves pitcher Jason Mott for allegedly quick-pitching him to get a strikeout that ended the seventh inning. Replays appeared to show that Pillar used the slur as he yelled toward the mound. Blue Jays issued a statement from Pillar acknowledging the use of a word that has no place in baseball and sports or anywhere in society today. Pillar went on to say he's personally apologized to Mott, that he plans to apologize to the Braves, their fans, and most importantly to the LBGTQ community for the lack of respect I displayed, unquote. The center fielder. You don't want to you don't want to have a offensive center fielder, do you? Well, another sports apology, a well-respected football coach in Michigan is under fire after making questionable remarks in a group text message, screenshots of the conversation, by uh, Benton Harbor, Michigan head football coach Elliot Uzalak, allegedly responding to a picture of a black student standing by in front of a car by saying, how much drugs did he sell to rent that, followed by another message that reads, our local drug dealers are using well, uh, doing well, unquote. Uzalak has since apologized for the remarks. I do regret and apologize for texting comments that were clearly... Inappropriate. Under no circumstances were these statements meant to be taken seriously. It has never been my intention to offend the students or the community. Humor by amateurs, ladies and gentlemen. A Santan Valley High School in Phoenix has apologized for publishing inappropriate quotes from students in the yearbook, drawing debate on social media. Many students and parents have said these quotes were funny, and the controversy has been overblown. How do you know when a controversy has been just blown enough. The quotes range from being generally negative or rude, such as, I hate all of you and the past four years felt like prison, to referencing sex, drugs, and other adult topics, such as, quote, if you've never thought about dropping out and becoming a stripper once, you're lying. The school's principal issued a public apology. It, I, I was lucky. My high school years were only three, so it was only three years of prison. Uh, now, to some media apologies, ladies and gentlemen. After New York City radio personality Tammy Bruce saw a viral video of a 10-year-old demanding an apology for Vice President Pence for bumping his nose, she appeared on Fox News to put the lighthearted comment into context. Instead of laughing along, she unleashed a Kids These Days screed, the damned the boy for overreacting. The boy wasn't just a child, Bruce implied. He was a snowflake, someone who stalked the Vice President and looked as if he needed a safe space. The boy must have learned his behavior from watching TV or maybe at home, she said. One who inhabits a feminized apology culture dripping with identity politics and ungrateful brats. Pretty amazing, she concluded. As it turns out, she had to apologize to the boy this week. After the boy's mother appeared on CNN to say, he's on the autism spectrum, he's a military child, and he loves the White House. For those who don't have a child with autism, they need to really rehearse and a lot of their Therapy involves practicing social interactions. 
boy has been verbal for only about half his life. Bruce did apologize. Please don't use kids, the mother added. Bruce pointed out she'd heard the message loud and clear. I'm so sorry for the family. My intention was never to hurt a kid and his mom. We had absolutely no idea he was on the spectrum. And as a gay woman and feminist, I've spent most of my adult life working to improve the lives of women and children. I get it, and I apologize. More media apologies. Alex Jones! Alex Jones made an apology, facing a lawsuit again. Second time this year he's apologized. Second time this year it's because he's been facing a lawsuit. He apologized for a previous report that accused a yogurt maker of supporting migrant rapists who spread disease in the company's Twin Falls, uh, Idaho home base. He admitted he made certain statements on InfoWars about the yogurt maker that I now understand to be wrong. The lawsuit has been settled. The financial terms of the deal were not revealed. If you want Alex Jones to apologize, it's easy, ladies and gentlemen. Just sue him. A co-founder of Twitter, Ev Williams, now CEO of a website called Medium, says regarding Trump's, it's President Trump's comment that Twitter helped elect him. It's a very bad thing. Twitter's role in that. If it's true that he wouldn't be president if it weren't for Twitter, then yeah, I'm sorry, unquote, Ev Williams. Anderson Cooper is among our apologizers this week. He, um, he had a guest. I'm over here for just the merest moment. Yes, I, he, I, I'm back. He had a guest on his... Uh, show, actually one a, a frequent CNN contributor, Jeffrey Lord, a longtime supporter of Donald Trump, and Lord was reacting to one of the um, leaks this week that Donald Trump had made um, classified intelligence uh, available, or mentioned it, in uh, his meeting with the Soviet, uh, the Russian foreign minister and Russian ambassador in the Oval Office a week and a half ago. And uh, as Jeffrey Lord was uh, saying this, Cooper Interjected. You can't defend what the president of the United States just said. I don't care. I mean, I don't. I don't care what he says to the Russian prime to the, the Russians. I. I mean, okay. he's the president of the United States. If right. he wants to say that, Barack Obama wants to say whatever. Right. If George Bush says, I looked in his if eyes. If he took and a dump he on his desk, you would defend it. Say it. What? <laughs> he said, if you took a dump on his desk, you would defend it. Cooper apologized a few minutes later. I was a little crude before. I apologize. No offense taken, Lord said. And then Cooper followed up by saying, I regret the crude statement I wrote. I, were, I spoke earlier tonight. I am genuinely sorry. And that's his uh, Twitter apology. A apology. Speaking of which, former New York Congressman Anthony Weiner, the disgraced politician whose sexting scandal shattered his career, admitted in federal court to sending sexual material to a 15-year-old girl. I have a sickness, but I do not have an excuse. I apologize to everyone I've hurt. I apologize to the teenage girl whom I mistreated so badly. I knew this was morally wrong, as morally wrong, as it was unlawful, said Weiner. These destructive impulses brought great devastation to family and friends and destroyed my life's dream of public service. He has sought, compulsively sought attention from women who have reached out to him on uh, social media. And yet I remained in denial even as the world around me fell apart. Following the incident with the 15-year-old girl, Wiener said, I came to grips for the first time with the depths of my sickness and started mental health treatment. He apologized, offered no excuses, and made a commitment to make amends, said his lawyer. And finally, another political apology. Massachusetts U.S. Senator Edward Markey was forced to apologize after he erroneously claimed on, live on CNN 
that a New York grand jury was investigating President Trump's campaign ties to the Russians. Senator Markey does not have direct intelligence. That is the case. The information he was provided during a briefing is not substantiated, said a spokesperson. Markey, spokeswoman, did not respond to a follow-up inquiry. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. With you in mind Things just ain't bad as they seem With you in mind Well, I can build my wildest dream With you in mind I can do anything with you in mind, honey, with you in mind, with you in mind, I went out looking for the best, with you in mind, cause you deserve nothing less, with you in mind, I've done so many things, loving your brains, with you in mind. Like the flower Drinking from the falling rain The same rain That could wash it away Instead it gives it strength And gives it water And before you know Another day From London, this is the show, and uh, we uh, we all, I think, had a a week full of a week full of leaks. Uh, the The week of news regarding <laughs> President Trump started uh, with the announcement that a special prosecutor. I don't know if this was the first thing that happened, but it was certainly one of the most notable things of the week. 
special prosecutor is going to be named, was named, Robert Mueller, former 12-year director of the FBI, to uh, run the investigation into alleged possible collusion between the Trump campaign and uh, the Ruskies. There, um, there's some reports that the Trump administration is looking into this little wrinkle, which might be interesting. Mueller had been at a law firm. Law firm had represented Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, and there's a federal law or rule that prohibits somebody from um, investigating someone that they'd recently represented. So that may be that may be brought up. They're gonna might drug that up. Uh, of course, the leaks poured out this week. The one that uh, probably made the most news was someone who reportedly saw the notes that were taken at the meeting among President President Trump, the uh, Russian foreign minister and the Russian ambassador, at which supposedly Trump said uh, that he had to get rid of uh, former F- the previous FBI director. James Comey, because um, he was crazy. He was a nut job. Now, um, we saw a tape this week rerun from um, an earlier meeting uh, right after the inauguration where Trump had gathered a lot of law enforcement officials to thank them for their job at the inauguration weekend. And there was a moment where much brooded about this week where Comey didn't want to uh, come up and be recognized by Trump. Uh, Trump did call him out eventually. Comey walked over, and there's a lot of discussion of the body language. Comey's a very tall guy, reached out his hand, didn't want to be embraced. Trump embraced him anyway. And that and that was what people were talking about, ignoring what Trump actually, the, the one phrase that Trump actually said as Comey walked over. He's get he's he's getting to be more famous than I am. Maybe that was the moment. Um, the um, there were there were further leaks, of course, but there was some actual news being made. Um, President Trump did, <laughs> President Trump did have a meeting with Henry Kissinger, uh, apparently to just sort of study up on what might happen on the Middle East trip. Um, he did announce that he's meeting with uh, several people as possibilities as new FBI director, including former Senator Joe Lieberman. And he announced that he's uh, appointing Newt Gingrich's wife to be ambassador to the Vatican, ladies and gentlemen. Um, there, there's a, a, a quicker way to get out all this. This week, for the first time, the drumbeat of leaks becomes a torrent of drumbeats. And for the businessman turned president, the task is nothing less than saving the show. Sean, Mm -hmm. another piss poor job. It's hard to defend you giving classified information to the Russians. Hard is what you're paid to do. Mm -hmm. Easy. I could do myself. You know, I should do your job myself. As a matter of fact, I used to, believe me. Oh, you've you've told me you were John Barron or John Miller. You'd phone the papers as your own PR guy. If I could phone into the White House press room, I could do it again. But you can't. Who says? Look, Sean, 
Every ounce of my body says I should fire you. I'm getting worse coverage than Bill Cosby, who, by the way, did nothing wrong. I mean, this is like Access Hollywood on steroids. Well, at least this week we weren't contradicted by statements from from uh, a higher level. Mm-hmm. I, I actually think we're beginning to regain our credibility as a press office. You know what? You're almost convincing me. I shouldn't let you go on the big trip. I should take Sarah. Well, Sarah's good. There's a lot to handle back here. I could use the sleep. But you'd be letting your team down. She is my team. Sean. Your task this week is to make my first foreign trip nothing but home runs. No singles, no walks. Uh, I think it's doable. No walks, no stolen bases. If if we're all on the same page all the time. You're trying to make a deal with me. I guess I am. That's gutsy. I used to like gutsy. Okay, pack your bags. Actually, just one bag. I need room for my golf stuff. I'm on it. I'm looking forward to the trip. I just have this funny feeling that uh, Air Force One won't leak. Joe. Joe Lieberman. Yes, sir. Honored to be here. We met at, uh, what, the Israel Bonds dinner at the plaza? I think that was our first meeting. Long time ago. Lots of bonds. Lots of bonds. Yes, sir. Tremendous bonds. Mm Mm-hmm. Big task waiting, maybe, for you, Joe. Ever directed a law enforcement thing before? Well, I was state attorney general of Connecticut a long time ago. It's all in my CV there, sir. I know. Yeah, some good photos of you in there. Mm -hmm. You know what I think, Joe? That right now you need a person of impeccable independence to lead the nation's premier law enforcement agency? Yeah, there's that. But, you know, just sitting here, I think you look like an FBI director. I mean, you got a thing, believe me. Oh, it would be an honor. You know what your main task would be? You mean besides maintaining the morale of the great men and women who... Yeah, besides that. Well, I hope you're not going to say it's in any way to impede the... What do you think, I'm a complete Looney Tunes? This is all being recorded. Joe. Your task would be to do your job and shut up. Don't hold press conferences. Don't write letters. In short, don't try to be more famous than me. Can you do that? Well, it might be a little difficult for me to rein in my natural charisma, but I think I might just possibly be able to do that. Okay, good. Maybe we'll talk soon, right? Note. It's it's been quite a while since I've had an an actual task. I know. I've been assigning myself some just to stay in shape. Mm -hmm. You still write the blog? Uh, Galista and I do, yes. And uh, we're working on our new historical novel set in the time of the Second Emperor. Okay, look. Your task, starting this week, is to be the husband of our new ambassador to the Vatican. The Vatican? You're Catholic, right? More Catholic than the Pope. Now, that's usually a facetious figure of speech, but in the current situation, it has the added advantage of being fat. The husband of the ambassador. You know, Ivanka's been on my ass about getting more women into high-profile positions. It's like a thing with her. Mm -hmm. But, as you know better than me, he's kind of a weird Pope. He doesn't believe in walls. Well, out there, last time I looked, uh, the Vatican had a wall. He's a nut job, right? But we gotta fill the position 
She looks like an ambassador. I mean, you do too, but uh, that doesn't float Ivanka's boat. Well, we have been a team for some time now. The books and the films and the... So, can you do this for the team? I know maybe you were expecting something a little bigger, but... Oh, no, Callisto will be so very happy. And uh, when you get right down to it, it's Rome. Bad for my wasteland. Oh, believe me. Don't eat too much. Well, for all the justifying I've done of him, I figured... You know, at least one of the major European countries. And all due respect to Callista, she'll do a wonderful job, but, uh... For my money, I, frankly, I, I think I look more like an ambassador. Henry. Yes, sir. You're, you're off on your trip. Just took off. Look, tremendous briefing last week. Yeah, well, I didn't expect to be part of a photo op, but uh, at my age, I don't think a lot of people are craving a picture of me. It's a fake news. What are you going to do? Look, Henry, I have a task for you. Well, I, I thought I laid out for you the overall strategic framework for the Middle East going forward. You did. It was a beautiful framework. Tremendous maps, tremendous charts, just gorgeous. So, I, I don't really know what more I can... Okay, look. I meet the Saudi king. We stick to our scripts about a new partnership. One hopes so, yes. But at the private lunch, I did want to tell him your story about Jill St. John's lady parts. And I forgot the punchline. You can remind me, right? I, I can, but... Uh, but what? I'll call you right back on my secure phone. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make the world's three great monotheistic religions great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentis. This week, even if you want to, you won't want to miss a moment.
And now, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> news of the warm, won't you? Award-winning feature of this program, strange as it may be. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Plant life on Antarctica is growing rapidly due to climate change, scientists have found. The white place is going green. Few plants live on the continent, but scientists studying moss, there's a life choice, have found a sharp increase in biological activity in the last 50 years. A team, including scientists from the University of Exeter, used moss bank cores, which are well preserved in Antarctica's cold conditions, testing five cores from three sites and found major biological changes had occurred over the past 50 years right across the Antarctic Peninsula. Temperature increases have had a dramatic effect on moss banks growing in the region, said one of the researchers. If this continues, and with increasing amounts of ice-free land from continued glacier retreat, the Antarctic Peninsula will be a much greener place in the future. So we don't have to. That's all it takes, ladies and gentlemen. Recent climate change on the Antarctic Peninsula is well documented with warming and other changes such as increased precipitation and wind strength. Wind strength. Weather records there mostly began in the 50s, but the biological records from the Moss Bank cores can provide a longer-term context. In this case, they studied 150 years, found clear evidence of change points, points in time after which biological activity clearly increased in the past half-century. In short, we could see Antarctic greening to parallel well-established observations in the Arctic. So that's one way they're alike, although the Antarctic is a lot less flat than the Arctic, and uh, other research indicates that may lead to less dramatic warming in the southern polar region than in the northern one. The global seed vault has reportedly been breached after soaring temperatures saw the deep permafrost designed to provide fill-safe protection disappear. Meltwater has apparently gushed into the tunnel entrance of the vault, buried deep in a mountain on the Norwegian island of Spitsbergen. It was not in our plans to think that the permafrost would not be there and that it would experience extreme weather like that, said an official from the, uh, from the Norwegian government. A lot of water went into the start of the tunnel, and then it froze in ice, so it was like a glacier when you went in. The seeds themselves are safe for now, as the water did not reach the vault itself. But the breach has raised fears over its future. The Global Seed Vault, opened in 2008, was a concrete bunker 100 meters deep inside a mountain, designed to be a secure place to store seeds from many of the Earth's 3 million known plant species to provide a vital genetic resource in the event of a global catastrophe. Well, things happen. And as concerns grow over the condition of Australia's Great Barrier Reef, which has endured widespread coral bleaching in the past several years, scientists are finding similar damage on reefs all over the world, including the Pacific and the Caribbean. Now a recent expedition to the Chagos Archipelago, at least 60 small islands in the Indian Ocean, has revealed devastating coral bleaching and coral death there, too. In shallow water above 15 meters and in places down to 20 meters, we've seen a lot of coral mortality in the region of 90%, said the researcher who led the recent expedition. It's a very upsetting thing to see when these reefs have developed so well and to see them being essentially reset, if you'd like. That's right. 
The Earth is pressing the reset button. The reef is believed to have suffered, according to the Washington Post, back-to-back bleaching, back-to-back bleaching events in 2015 and 2016. These events were brought on by unusually warm conditions, likely influenced by climate change and an unusually severe El Nino. I blame El Nino. I blame all the Ninos, all the Ninos of the world. Scientists have found that coral reefs all over the world have been affected by these conditions, though not all have fared as badly as those in the Chagos area or the Great Barrier Reef. Bleaching doesn't automatically mean death for coral reefs. They can uh, succeed in Hollywood with, no, Beverly, I mean, it's a natural reaction to environmental stress such as high temperatures that causes the corals to expel the tiny algae that live inside them and give them their brilliant colors. Given enough time, the coral will regrow its algae and return to normal, but bleaching events can weaken the reefs, making them more vulnerable to disease. If stressful conditions last long enough, the coral may begin to die. Pray for the coral. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations, over NPR, worldwide throughout Europe, the USN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on the mighty Soho Radio in London. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live on iCrave, whenever you want it. HarryShare.com and KCSN.org. Available for your smartphone through Stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, iTunes, and WWNO.org. And it'd be just like another week of leaks. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? All Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead, to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans, and to Adrian Bodnam Potters here at Global Radio in London for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, a playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts for summer or in Australia for winter, all at harryshare.com. And me, I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer.
The show comes to you from... Oh, that was, that was the one I wanted to hit. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. I'll push the right button now and see you next week. So long from London.